Hello, and welcome to the DOS Champion Soccer Podcast. It is the 6th of, what is that, October? And uh, yeah, just, and we're at the October uh, international qualification window here. Podcasting is all about the U.S. men's national team. Uh, we're going to kick it off with uh, reviewing how our American boys did in Europe this this weekend, this past weekend, and then uh, get into the nitty gritty about the the game on Thursday. Um, joined by my good friend Alex Weinstein. Alex, how you doing today? Ryan, I am excited to be here, and um, there's just a huge list of U.S. players in Europe that we need to cover, and I have a feeling that three years from now when we're doing this pod, it's going to take an entire business day to cover all <laughs> yeah, the players that are overseas. Yeah, we have to make some, make some t- uh, you know, changes to the, to the approach by that point. <laughs> it is quite amazing, though, because uh, during the process of filling this out, I kept being like, up, oh, and there's another, up, oh, and there's another. Um, so, yeah, a lot to get to. Um before we jump into it, I want to remind everybody, uh, hit us up on social media. You can get us on Twitter at, at ChampionsDOS. We'd love to hear from you about you know stuff we talk about in here, um, random stuff involving the EPL, pretty much anything soccer-related. Hit, hit us up. We might have a, a few words to exchange with you. And then I um, just want to give a couple shout-outs to people that uh, we like what they're saying on social media. We appreciate their stance on certain issues we're passionate about. First guy that comes up is... Uh, Ben Fast. This guy is a pro relegation warrior. He, um, you know, continually and persistently is articulating the need for an open system. We're totally on board with this, and we think he's fighting the good fight. And yeah, we're we're all about it, Ben. Keep up the good work. Um, uh, you can catch him at BW Fast. That is at BW Fast. So check him out. And then, uh, yeah, we got. Linners and woozers here, Alex. What do you what do you think about these guys or this guy? I think I, I think he's um, he absolutely knows uh, what's happening in soccer globally, but he also has a skill set to talk about financials and revenues. And uh, I really appreciated what he had to say about um, global TV ratings and the trends that they've been um, experiencing over the last two years. And um, he really seems to think that major leagues need to start reconciling TV ratings being down. Um, I hope to hear more of what Linners and Woozers has to say. And it would be awesome to collaborate with him and share knowledge in the future. And you can follow Linners and Woozers at Linners, L-I-N-N-E-R-S, Woozers, W-O-S-E-R-S, at Linners Woozers. Everyone loves a good spoonerism. Uh, so appreciate the name there, Linner. Um, yeah, so now into uh, into the, really, we're going we're gonna to start out talking about the guys in Europe and how they did, and performers of the week is how we're going to kick it off. And it's we had a couple big performances this week uh, from some relatively new guys on the block. I'm going to start off with Busio here. He got a full 90 in the 1-1 tie that they had against Cagliari. And he scored the tying goal uh, in stoppage time, so that is a uh, you know a big moment for him. They need the points. He's playing all the time. It's really great to see him getting into advanced areas and putting the ball in the back of the net. Yeah, it was a deflection or whatever, but you know what? You got to shoot to score, and like all of them count the same. He got into a dangerous area and converted. So, Busio, we're happy for you, man. Keep it up. Yeah, it should be interesting to see his performance on the U.S. men's national team over the next few years. I can't help but think that playing in Syria is helping him think faster and move into better positions. So it'll be curious to watch him in the next 24 hours. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I hope he gets some playing time. Uh, it'll be really exciting to see what he does with the national team and what he brings to the midfield that's a bit different and gives us a hopefully some a different angle in in the way we advance the ball through the middle of the park uh joe scaly next guy up here he is just been killing it for gladbach uh he's played i think he started every game so far he plays almost the entire game both flanks um and then here's another goal scorer from the weekend he closes out and also in stoppage time you know uh, after 90 minutes is done um gets the third gold for 
Wolfsburg and they win three to one. It seems like the Wolfsburg, or so not the Wolfsburg, sorry, it was he against Wolfsburg. Wolfsburg. And yeah, Wolfsburg. he plays for Gladbach. Uh, it feels like the Gladbach fans are really taking a shine to this guy. Yeah, um, there's definitely a trend where the European the European supporters of designated clubs are supporting the American players more than the American fan bases. That's okay. Uh, Joe Scaly is playing so well that it's almost becoming problematic for the U.S. men's national team in the sense that like he, he should be on the field and he can play left back, he can play right back. I'm curious to know what other positions he can play. He's obviously certainly capable of getting up the pitch, and so placing him as a defender is reasonable. Placing him as a wing back is reasonable. I just wonder what other versatility this guy has. He's only 18 years old. Um, seems to be just an incredible athlete. Who's yeah, I super was, composed and comfortable on the ball too. If you, if you didn't say that athletic part, I was about to bring it up. I really think Joe Scaly has elite athletic ability, and it's going to carry him really far if he's able to develop his technical ability. This kid could be very good. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, it's disappointing to not see him in the squad. You keep hearing the common refrain of like you need to have experience or whatever. Um, it's really odd that that same thing wasn't spouted about Pepe before the uh, his inclusion. Um, you know, it's a fundamentally flawed argument. I mean, yeah, because I, I'm, I'm not advocating that it should have been spotted for Pepe, but like, it, I'm actually saying it certainly shouldn't have, and it shouldn't be acceptable as a line of reasoning in this scenario. I'll either. Um, in my mind, actually, I think there's probably an argument to say that Joe Scaly is playing at a higher level for his position or in better form than even Pepe right now. I might, I know some people might find that controversial, but the dude is balling out in the Bundesliga, you know, slide tackling Robert Lewandowski and not getting red carded. Um, it's, it's not reasonable to, to think that he's not ready to play for the team or that, like, he isn't some competing at a level that is giving him good enough experience. If you want the guy to be more experienced and comfortable team, just call him in. Yeah. He's totally deserving of it at this point. And just to be clear on this, the logical reasoning that they don't have experience in the club is like I said, it's fundamentally flawed and it breaks down immediately because if that were the case, then you would still have Josie Altidore's and you'd still have, Michael Bradley's and you would play those guys until the day they retired and you never integrated Giovanni Reina or even a Christian Pulisic who's young for that matter. Yeah. And so it's, it's just logically it's, it's incoherent. It doesn't hold up. It doesn't actually reconcile what's happening in the real world. And the truth is, is when players are good, you should play them in an international, like in international breaks where you're playing a team like Jamaica, who's down men and poorly coached, you're playing them at home this is the perfect time to be introducing a Joe Scaly, but it doesn't matter much because at the end of the day in a pretty solid defensive line, that's that features Anthony Robinson and Brooks and Chris Richards and Serginio Dust. He's forcing his way into the He's forcing his way into the starting lineup. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how this plays out. It feels like the kid is going to be in the squad that goes to Qatar though. So absolutely. Uh, and then on to actually one of the probably most controversial selection figures, at least with the development that has happened with uh, Brooks having the back issues and uh, Reem having family stuff. So he's staying back. Matt Miazga has been playing really well since he moved to uh, since he moved to Spain. Um, he played the full 90. They lost in, in the Basque Derby to Athletic Club Bilbao. but he he played really well. He made the uh, the team of the week for the for the Spanish league. Um, some just a brief of a couple of thing of a couple of his numbers here in this particular game. He won six of seven of his aerial duels, and then he also completed seven of eight of his long balls, eighty four percent overall passing accuracy. Um, this guy looks like he's playing at a pretty high level right now. I'd like to see him get included. I'm going to say it again. And I say it almost every time we talk about the uh, national team, the center back pool is developing in a really unexpected and um, potentially beneficial way for the team. It'll be really interesting to see who gets selected moving into, uh, you know, through the qualification process. And as we get closer to the world cup. Yeah, I agree. A few comments on Matt Miazga. Um, he's 26 years old and he's, he's entering probably, um, the prime years of his career 
uh, center backs develop a little bit later than other positions. There's obviously a lot of relevancy to where you're positioned on the field. And that obviously matters in like a center midfield position, but the consequences of getting it wrong are quite extreme. And Miazga's been really stuck in the Chelsea loan system for a long period of time. The knock on that is you can't find stability in a club and you can never maximize your value. But the interesting thing about it is that he's been exposed to so many different styles of play in so many different leagues and so many different systems. Um, He's really coming on in La Liga. And exactly what you said is true, Ryan. What I thought was once a big problem for the U.S. men's national team, which was their defensive line, is now starting to form into one of their uh, deepest um, position segments. Yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting. I imagine this guy's going to get a shout at some point in time. Um, I wish he would have gotten the call to begin with this window, and then the call to be brought in. Obviously, him and Verhalter aren't seeing eye to eye, or so, something's going on there. Beside, you know, assessment of, of talent, or, and you know, maybe it's a personality thing. Um, Winalda on his podcast has suggested that the whole like. Matt Miazga, Diego Linez, like, look at how short you are thing, rub Greg Berhalter the wrong, wrong way. It certainly sounded like it um, rubbed Eric the wrong way f- from what he said. And I think there actually is a little bit of merit to those type of things uh, in terms of assessing the guy's maturity and everything. And these are, uh, we're getting into territory where we really don't see it, you know? Like, we can be super critical of Burhalter in terms of his ability to assess players and how they should be utilized and everything. But I, I personally, I can't, I got to give him some deference on the uh, personality side of it. I have no way to assess that. Yeah, I, I do believe it's the coach's responsibility to bring out the best qualities in their player. And as far as the short guy thing that he did, you talk shit in sports. It's just yeah. how it works. And when you have a rivalry that that's, that's as heated as it is, I mean... It's not like the Mexican players aren't doing the same thing, you know, no, like, no, um, but I think things like that play into decision making more than maybe, uh, the common discussions about our selection process in the United States would have you believe. Sure. Sure. Uh, so yeah, now on to another guy that, well, this one is just, he's been great since he moved to Salzburg. He will be great the entire time he's at Salzburg, which seems like it might not be, well, I don't want to say too much longer, but Brendan Aronson uh, started, of course, full 90. Eh, not all the time, but most of the time. An assist. Mm-hmm. It's becoming very common. In the, in the games they where won. they need him. In the yeah. games where they need him. Yeah. Well, that's a, I had said this to you when he, what did he have? He had like, at the beginning of the season, they had those Champions League qualification games. Yeah. And he scored in each leg. And then he had scored in the final of the Austrian Cup in the spring, and he had scored for the U.S. in uh, what, in Honduras game. This this kid is a baller. He yeah, is he's a big, a big time player. player. Yep, yeah, exactly. he means business. He gets he. You can even see in the way that he finished against Honduras, the ball was bouncing a bit. It didn't matter. The kid made clean contact, and it went into the back of the net. He is. There's something with him. I really think he's got the potential to kind of ascend into our elite tier of players with um, with Pulisic and, and with Reyna. McKinney and Reyna. Yeah, I really I think he's got it. And mentality wise, I think he he's really up there. Yeah, his work ethic and his composure and his uh, professionalism are definitely things that I've noted as well. And I think kind of all the guys, all of them who are playing in Europe, I, you could argue Scaly has been the most consistent um scally i think is how you pronounce it but um i you could it, brendan aronson's right yeah. in that conversation i mean what they're doing in the champions league is incredible like they've basically created an entirely new group of death and as things stand today they're favored to go through so he's accomplishing um he's achieving at an unbelievable clip and every time the bar is raised and expectations are set higher he exceeds them yeah yeah, it's a uh, you know, great place for him, and uh, it's good to see that he's kind of you know he's growing in the appropriate way that would you would expect of a player that Salzburg signs. Pepe, keep an eye on this. Uh, now on to Luca De La Torre. He is our. Uh, it seems like he's the cult favorite in in certain circles, um, and I think we're we're right there with everyone on this. Uh, he got the full ninety and a three two will win for. Hercules against, uh, what is it? Vilma? Willem? 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 
<laughs> it's Dutch. I ain't got it. Um, but yeah, this guy is getting a lot of time. He looks to be a midfield maestro, good medium short passing game. Uh, it's unfortunate you don't get to always see the games. ESPN, what's up? Plus, what's up with this? Sometimes they're on, sometimes they're not. I need some consistency from you. Uh, but I am really excited. Maybe the this might be the guy that excites me the most going into the Jamaica game. Yeah, um, he's the, he is the guy who excites me the most as well because we haven't seen his talents on display in the national team for a while, and he possesses a very unique set of skills that I don't think are present in any other player. One of the things that De La Torre does very well, you mentioned he's a midfield maestro. He's very good at putting the ball on the side of his body that the defender isn't, whether that's the left or the right side. So he's pretty good with his left foot. He's left foot, but he's right foot dominant. And he's got the ability to carry the ball up the field with speed. And that's one of the things that he does incredibly well. He'll receive the ball in his defensive third, put it on the left side of his body away from the defender and carry it up the entire length of the field, making a, a critical distribution, you know, in his opponent's defensive third. And we don't have a lot of people that can do that. That's really not like in Tyler Adams' wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the big changes we've seen in De La Torre um, last season, most, uh, not most, many fans considered him an eight and would scoff up the idea that he's a six. He's playing almost exclusively as a six and a double pivot this year. So he occupies a position that we actually really need fulfilled on the team. He gives us the opportunity to run double pivots. I know that's not what Burhalter is going to do. I would hope that he could do it, but it also, um, even if Burhalter's not going to run a double pivot, it's an option that isn't Adams. Yeah, I don't, I, I don't know what his ability would be as a straight up six center defensive midfielder holding type. Uh, it seems like he, especially if he's the only one. Yeah. Yeah. I don't see him being great at that role. I think he's awesome in the capacity that you talked about with being in a double pivot. And then I think he can play as one of the eights as well. Uh, But maybe the double pivot is the more comfortable spot for him, but his ball carrying ability is I think a pretty unique skill set for the team. And I, I really want to see it in action. I want to see him carry the ball, force the team toward him, spray a pass out to somebody else, and then their defensive structures start falling apart. And it, yeah, I'm, I, I can't wait for that type of play to come out of him. Between Busio, Adams, and De La Torre, um, there's a strong argument to be made that a double pivot is actually a very reasonable formation to roll out. Yeah. Uh, hopefully we get to see some diversity in the midfield selection. Agreed. Uh, Berhalter's made a remark that Weston is going to be starting tomorrow, by the way. Uh, yeah, that is a good thing, I think. So at I'm, least he's not in the doghouse anymore. Yeah, but, you know, Landon Donovan has a doghouse, too. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, so into, uh, into, on Francais, on to France here. Tim Weah and Conrad de la Fuente. We took them as a pair because their teams played against each other. Uh, Lille and Olympique de Marseille. Uh, 2-0 win for Lille here. Weah came on in the... 72nd minute got an assist in stoppage time man our guys are just putting up numbers in stoppage time this week um it's really good to see him get out there and participate see that little CONCACAF connection happening between him and Jonathan David uh you know U.S. Canada we have a good relationship um Conrad disappointing not to see the field that Unger red card really didn't help him get onto the field I would imagine he would have gotten out there if that wasn't the case yeah um, you know, from what I've seen of Wea, um, he's he's playing well. I I would like to see him starting, and that that's probably a byproduct of what he's doing in training. I'm not going to blame that on the coach or system or anyone else other than him. I'd like to see Wea starting, but in the moments he's playing, he's producing, which is great. Um, Conrad, it almost looks like he's struggling to find his footing or has heavy feet. Um. I'm not sure exactly what's going on in Marseille, but I'd love to see Conrad getting more minutes. And I mean, this is a great, this is why players like Conrad are, are well off being at Marseille and players like Tim way are, are good at being at Lille. Um, if they have got to compete for a starting position and they can do it in those leagues, it's a very promising sign. So they just need to rise to the occasion and make it happen. 
Yeah, uh, you know, you saying that makes me think that some of these conversations about our guys that are in Europe and not getting consistent playing time and stuff, I think they're going to start go- just going away once our guys get older. A lot of them are in, you know, they're in the, the time of their life where they are, they're still fighting for their spots. They're not like established professionals. And you even don't know like what's their ceiling yet. Maybe even what's their best position in some instances. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm kind of interested to see what ends up happening once some of these guys get more into like their, their mid-20s and how we view them at that point. I agree. I agree. Um, I think the fans oftentimes get frustrated by the lack of playing time. And um, there's two ways to interpret that. One of them is that they're in the wrong spot and they're not getting the minutes they deserve. And that's a problem. And the other is what's happening in training every day is exactly what needs to happen for these players to be getting better. Yeah. And they're right where they should be. That That's a really key part of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, competing every single day for something that isn't just given to you is going to obviously make you a little bit better at stuff. It turns out that expectations are not, in fact, toxic. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> um, yeah, but on to, on to Weston McKinney. So he got a start again, um, and Juventus won. Juventus seems to win more often when McKinney plays. That's he true. Didn't, he didn't have a great game. Uh, this He scored in this fixture last year. It, this is the uh, Derby de la Mola. I'm probably doing that not quite Italian enough. But it's, uh, you know, Torino versus Juventus. Um, they ended up getting a 1-0 win in this game. It's good to see him getting playing time. It doesn't feel like he's quite at his peak performance level currently. But, you know, guys are guys are in and out of form. I am really excited to see Weston get integrated back into the team. And then I think as soon as he starts getting out there and doing some exciting stuff, it's that's all we're going to think about. Yeah, I think it's important to remember that he's playing for Juventus um, and starting for Juventus. Uh, he didn't have the greatest game. I think like the biggest difference between the, the game tape I've watched this season versus last season is he seems to be a lot more enthusiastic. He seemed to be a lot more enthusiastic last season. Now that could have been a byproduct of playing with Ronaldo and being starstruck and trying to rise to the occasion. But there's less of those like gritty defensive plays where he forces a turnover and takes the ball in the other direction. There's less movement off the ball. There's less um, accuracy in the one touch passes um, year over year. He's not doing that as much. And there's a little bit more standing around. I don't know where his energy level is. I do think some of the things that if I were in his position, some of the stuff that's happened in the media and with the U S men's national team is probably a little bit exhausting. I don't want to beat a dead horse. Um, but I don't really have any appreciation for the comments that Landon Donovan has about Weston. I think it's uh, defeating in nature. It's not a team mentality. And I don't, know, I don't really understand what the motivation is in that. But um, as soon as Weston's able to perform and have something else occupy his uh, headspace, assuming that that's not what's happening today, I think he's going to return right back to where he was. And again, he's starting for Juventus. That's incredible. Yeah, um, you know, Landon Donovan recently had a horrifying-looking statue unveiled of him at uh, for the LA Galaxy, and in his speech for that, he made sure to first, before anyone else, because they're the most important people, uh, to thank the key stakeholders before the fans. So I don't know how much we should read into Landon Donovan and his opinions on things and what is important, uh, but yeah. Um, you know, a little shot at him there, but Landy Cakes, man, you got that nickname for a reason. Yeah, uh, I mean, if you're going to take shots at the current men's U.S. men's national team, then you're not going to be in, <laughs> you're not going to be in um, the positive regard of the folks on this pod. We're yeah. interested in our players <laughs> playing at the best. We're interested in surrounding them with positive vibes, even if they're not uh, playing at their best. Just shots that don't seem to have much of a you know what, what are we going for here? Yeah, right. So anyways, moving moving on to uh, Tyler Adams. And, you know, we should we should touch on Jesse Marsh as well. It's volatile over there currently, but Adams got full 90. He got deployed at uh, right wing back this time around, which is a position it seems like he's comfortable with as well. He's physically capable of doing that kind of stuff. Got a 3-0 win against uh, Bauckham. So I, the Oldie coaster sounds so much nicer than the Jesse Marsh coaster, but... You know, they went like 6-0 in the league and then poor performance in the Champions League and then 3-0 in the league. Um, 
yeah, what are we taking about, I guess, the Tyler Adams state in, in all of this and then Jesse Marsh as well? Um, I mean, I think Jesse Mar- March is like trying to solidify what's happening in the squad. And um, Tyler Adams' skill set's something that's been revered by many coaches. It's not exclusive to Jesse. And so um, there's a lot of things that guy can do. And playing him through the middle might not be the the best solution for the team. His work rate on the wings might be the way that they get the most out of him. But what do we think of Tyler? I think Tyler's an incredible player. I, you know, he, many coaches have said that about him. His his work rate is super strong. He's, he plays an integral role for the U.S. men's national team, and working through a little adversity is only going to make him better. Um, and then what do we think of Jesse? I think you and I said this at the beginning of the season. Well, actually, before the season started. Leipzig turns players over. That's their model. The players that they turned over this year were... It was a good crop. It was a good crop that they turned over, mm-hmm. but replacing them is extremely difficult to do. And who they're replacing them with are talented players, but they're players that haven't played at the level of Bundesliga play. Yeah, And so they're going up against very difficult competition with changes to both of their center backs, which is you know, that's a little bit shocking and a little bit jarring. They've got to change to their head coach. So I consider it to be par for the course, and this is a healthy amount of pressure for these two to be under. Yeah, uh, I am i don't have any reason to contradict that in a meaningful way. Um, it's good to see Tyler Adams out there and healthy and playing. I thought he was excellent for the U.S. men's national team last window and is kind of, for me, the natural captain of the team. I, uh, you know, really look forward to seeing him again here, like tomorrow. It's going to be awesome. Uh, on to Yunus Musa. We have, what do we get here from him? 75 minutes and a zero, zero draw. So mm-hmm. there was that re or sorry, 85 minutes and zero, zero draw for Valencia against Cadiz kid is getting more minutes. I know that, um, the person, his direct competitor or the person right in front of him, was injured and we, we saw more minutes coming from him. Um, I didn't watch this game, so I'm not sure how much he was contributing, but it's good. It's good to see him out there. It's good to see him healthy. I'm really getting excited for the last three guys that we've talked about to, to be paired together. It's, it's interesting because we, we were raving about Busio and we're raving about Luca De La Torre, but now we just rattle off Weston, you know, Tyler, Eunice, well, here's three other central midfielders that we're, we're pretty happy with. Right. So it, it, this is just, you know, I'm, get, I'm getting more and more pumped up the further we get into this thing. Yeah, this is kind of something that we had talked about for a while is that the talent that's getting shipped overseas is going to make it so that poor roster selection isn't something that practically exists anymore. I mean, our talent pool just getting better um, really just raises the level of the men's national team in general. I'm excited to see Eunice on the team. Um, I guess one of the players hasn't been vaccinated yet, and I've got some uh, paranoid concerns. There are paranoid feelings that it could be Eunice that um, is going to be unable to travel with the team. But um, what I really like about the way that the guy plays is he has this almost like free-flowing style of moving with the ball and running with the ball. It's a little bit like De La Torre, but it's got way more athleticism to it. And I think that almost like childlike fun on the ball will translate to the rest of the team and instill a sense of like joy in the way that the rest of the team plays. And so I'm excited to see what happens when he's playing with other guys on the team. I think there are a number of players in the men's national team that level up their surrounding cast. Um, and I think Eunice Moose is one of those guys that will do that. Interesting. Yeah, he uh, he definitely does have that that um, when he's making those runs. I can picture it, the joy that that he has, and it does seem it does seem infectious. Uh, yeah, it's it's hard to to really know how all this is going to play out in the next three games, and and I'm excited to see if he like his skill sets getting highlighted in maybe a manner that we haven't seen yet because of the the personnel and how Greg goes about filling out that midfield. He might get paired with people we're not expecting him to get paired with, and it might work better than we would initially think. So yeah, it's, it's going to be interesting. Um, on to, on to Chris Richards now. Um, 
kid got a full 90 against Stuttgart playing for Hoffenheim. They lost 3-1. Uh, it looked like, to my eyes, he was pretty solid throughout the game. Chris Richards, I think, is a class player. He's one of those guys that's a defender that doesn't like to slide tackle a whole bunch. He tends to want to be more of the... He's, you can say see, he's patient. He wants to slow the guy down, get numbers back, at force a mistake out of him. Really mature behavior for somebody his age. It, it bodes well for his future. Uh, yeah, he's... He could be something special too. You know, they haven't, they, they being Bayern, Bayern has not sold this guy yet, you know, and they didn't want to get rid of him right away. Um, you know, and he only went on loan later on. So mm-hmm. they were still assessing. He was like a fringe guy in all likelihood for Bayern until they were like, all right, he's not going to get enough time to develop properly. We'll revisit this. Yeah. I think I've definitely noticed he's getting like bigger and stronger and, um, the composure coupled with the physicality is a very dangerous combination in a player like that. He's left footed, is that right? No, he's not. He's right footed. He's right footed. Yeah. Well, he, just, like he gets deployed as a left center back quite often. His passing range is really good, though. Yeah, um, his passing range is solid. That's absolutely something I've noticed. Um, it's interesting to think about the team um, playing with center backs that are of a high level and have a solid passing radius. Um, we've noted this in other teams that when those types of players are present, it enables the team to move the ball around the field um, with more pace, which opens up attacking opportunities. So I'm excited to see him play. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and now Serginio Dest, Barcelona's best player, which I actually, it's, would feel like an exaggeration in most times, but not in these current Barcelona times. Uh, he got 86 minutes and 2-0 loss to Atletico Madrid. Um, in the last few games before this one, he looked like the most dangerous player for Barcelona. Uh, I want to see Dest be a little bit better for the U.S. men's national team. I know it's like probably an awkward transition for him to get um, to get like comfortable, and especially because... On Barcelona, they have some pretty good midfield technicians, and I think it allows him to more comfortably get into advanced positions and play the kind of game that he wants to play. And I don't think that clicks quite as much for him currently at on the U.S. men's national team. And I'm really hopeful that some of these, what I consider better midfield options, are going to open up the game for Dest. Yeah, I um, I think that I totally agree with that. Um I'm interested to see how Dust does in this in this break. He he really played well, I thought, against Canada um, in the last break, and uh, he's had some turbulent times. Like he's had moments where he's like struggling to break into teams, and then does, and then his defensive posture is uh, called into question. But he seems to be playing really good ball for Barcelona right now. He, he seems to be one of their more consistent players. Um, and I do think a little bit more stability in the midfield is going to allow him to get into the attack and really show his skill set. For sure. Um, so paired these guys together, the Fulham boys, uh, Robinson and Ream, they both got a full 90 and a 4-1 loss to Coventry City. Um it didn't look like Robinson, at least from the numbers, had that great of a game. Uh he didn't contest any aerial duels, which is, to me, you know, in, unless you watch the game, that statistic might be kind of misleading. But it, it could mean he really wasn't even trying to challenge for the ball in the air, which I don't like that idea. His passing overall passing percentages wasn't great at only 74.2%. And he was zero of eight on long balls. But I wonder if any of those long balls are actually clearances that, like, based upon how you categorize the stuff, just end up getting put down as long balls. Um, I'll note that, like, just to play devil's advocate, I'll say that Anthony Robinson is our starting left back, at least until Joe Scaly takes him out of that position. (laughs) Um, Anthony Robinson can be a streaky player. Um, His his good moments are great, and his bad moments are really poor. Yeah, that is probably a good way to put it with him, Um, because we've seen him be super bad, and we've seen him be completely mercurial. And, you know, what he did in that you know coming at halftime performance uh along with with um brendan aronson in the honduras game 
they're big difference makers and they looked like they were the, you know, they were the guy I, I got the vibe off of them from their body language and stuff that they were like, all right, time to do a job. Let's go. And that I really like about Jedi. I am right there with you. And then uh, Tim Ream, though, he's not going to be into camp. He was in this game, too. He actually looks like he had a really solid game, like won all his all his duels, air and ground, good passing percentage, accurate with his long passing as well. Uh, I know Ream gets like a bad rap a lot of the time. Um, and I actually we will get to DeAndre Edlin more in a bit here, but I kind of see him and DeAndre in a similar way in terms of these guys are consummate professionals that have been around for a really long time. Uh, and they're not flashy and they're not the new shit on the block, but there's like, they're very, very useful. And they're the kind of guys that once we're able to replace, it's probably going to be with like some really good players. Yeah. I'm, you know that I'm a big team, Tim Ream fan. I like to think of Tim Ream like black licorice. Um, not a lot of people like black licorice, but the people with really good taste like black licorice, black licorice and Jägermeister <laughs> and Malort. <laughs> Malort. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> uh, oh, Malort. Um, yeah. So enough for alcoholic Qui-Gon Jinn as somebody wise once called him. Let's move on to that's exactly what I was thinking. I never heard him called that, but I was like, he's definitely like the Qui Gon Jinn of this team. That's you. You said that shit, man. Did I? <laughs> All red face, looking like alcoholic Qui Gon Jinn. Yeah, he does look like alcoholic Qui Gon Jinn. He's old like Qui Gon Jinn. Oh, the Force. But he's going to train the next Anakin. Yeah, and then it's going to be really good and then really bad. That might be Anthony. <laughs> Oh yeah, he is a Jedi. Gosh, it's all it's all right here for us. It's coming together. Um, yeah, but John Brooks unfortunately going to miss out with back spasms or or whatever's going on with him. It's unfortunate. I'm I'm sure a bunch of international flights are not what Wolfsburg want for this guy when he's like my back hurts. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but in the game against um, Gladbach, which Joe Scaly was the the star of. Wolfsburg didn't start with John Brooks and then Wolfsburg put John Brooks on at halftime because their defense was playing like shit. So John Brooks helps make teams better at defense. Usually. Sorry for the adoption of the sarcastic tone here and everything. It's just, I find the, the, the idea that John Brooks doesn't have a place in the U S men's national team. Very absurd. Uh, Yeah. It's, we're better. We're better with him than without him. Wolfsburg had one of the best defenses when he was starting games for them. And when he wasn't playing and starting games, they started giving up a ton of goals. And, and, you know, some of this is being comfortable in the system and everything. And he's used to players being in certain positions that they typically aren't. And I don't know if it's fair to just go like, well, everybody on the U.S. men's national team is playing at a lower level than he's used to. So it's fucking with this game. Like, that's not really a fair thing, fair way to approach it. But I think there is some like it's true. <laughs> eh, no, I don't. I don't. Exa- I don't think it's that it, it, true in those terms. I think it is true, and it's different. And his expectations sometimes of where she should be and why are not in line with what Berhalter and maybe the other guys are expecting. And it's it can be it can come off looking really bad sometimes. And I think there might be a hero ball aspect with him too. It's easier to see it with the forwards, but like defenders are not, um, they're not outside of that. They can maybe want to do a little bit too much if they consider themselves the better player and capable of stealing the ball right then getting out of position a little bit. Yeah. It's like one of the worst positions to want to play hero ball in. Yeah, it absolutely is. <laughs> All right. DeAndre Yedlin, my boy. Yeah, you I've were, really warmed up. I've warmed up so much to DeAndre Yedlin. Yeah, you were getting a little heater earlier about some people talking trash on him. Yeah, I was getting upset. Uh, what's the name? What's the name of the dude? Jillian Arruyo or something like that. The one who just declared to play for Mexico. He's like the twenty-year-old yeah. player who is like really one of the best players for the Galaxy and Legia. Anyways, so there was some talks that he was a better player than DeAndre Yedlin. Some folks were saying he's a huge loss to the team. He's our second best right back. And 
it's just simply not the case. And DeAndre Yedlin gets hated on so much. You know, I was like, I brought up, and this was in a conversation that DeAndre Yedlin, you're forgetting about him. And the response was, yeah, he's old. And it's like, yeah, he's also playing. Is he like 28? I think he's like, let's see how old he is. I think he's like 30, but. I don't, I, I don't think Besides so. the point, he's he's probably faster than he's probably faster than just about anybody on the U.S. men's yeah, national he, team. He's twenty eight. Yeah, he he yeah. just turned twenty eight. <laughs> yeah, he's like in his <laughs> prime. Like, yeah, he's not old. He's not old, <laughs> and he's and he's had an awesome career. Right, he came out of the MLS. He like went to Tottenham. He went to Sunderland. He went to Newcastle when they were in the championship. They got promoted, and he played in the Premier League. And he like he was mid mid table guy, and now he's at Galatasaray, and he's playing in. He's playing in the Euro in um in uh is it is, is it are they does it go by the Euros? Is that what is that what they call it? It's not the Euros. For what? It's not the Champions League, it's European Champions. Oh, the Europa League? The Europa League. Yeah, no, so he's a, this guy's a, a you know, a consummate professional journeyman player. Um I think making a comparison between him and Julian Araujo is probably not like It's a poor comparison. Yeah, um, and I would, I'd be sympathetic to the idea that Araujo is technically a more gifted player, but I'm also very sympathetic to the idea that uh, DeAndre Yedlin has been a consummate professional for a very long, and while it's not like a star-studded career or anything, the guy has been a pretty good player at some like decent mid-table clubs throughout Europe. And there's something to be said for that, um, and for... You know, he's he's playing in Turkey right now, and he's an everyday starter. He's earned his keep everywhere he's played. Basi- basically, yes. Um, it's not that's not one hundred percent the case, but more. I just I'm not comfortable with ragging on a guy that's in his prime that can be really serviceable, and then just like like we we point to things or people point to things like, oh man, can you believe that? Uh, that he just got completely smoked by um God I, I'm mind blanking right now and I really shouldn't oh, I, this guy's I, main because um, um, he's like the best player in Concacaf help me here left back yeah uh, um, Alfonso Davies yeah, yeah. so like just because Alfonso Davies smokes somebody like doesn't mean that guy is bad it turns out that literally every single right back in the world gets smoked by fucking Alfonso <laughs> Davies. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's just like a, it, it doesn't it's a very meaningless thing <laughs> yeah i'm a deandre yedlin fan man and um he, he's a great option for this team and he's in like at the end of the day he's playing well um and by the way deandre yedlin is a fan of pro rel so he's good in my books yeah well, no it's because he thinks that people have to earn their keep and he's proven that throughout his career <laughs> yeah and he's experienced it yep so he knows what's up uh and then this is just kind of like a random one because I noticed that he was playing on the opposing team when I was putting this list together. But Tyler Boyd, he had a little bit of like, oh man, we could use Tyler Boyd. And then he's completely fallen off the map and deservedly yeah. so because there's a lot of other players that could can do what he does at a better level. But it's always interesting, you know, as as we're we're getting more and more expansive in terms of the players that we have in in Europe competing right now some of the guys kind of fall through the mainstream cracks. And here's a guy started, played the full 90 in the two, three loss to Galatasaray for, uh, what is it? Kaikur, Kaikur, uh, rise I think you got it. Nailed uh, it. Yeah. <laughs> Turkish delight. Um, mm. he, yeah, I, I don't know if he'll ever make it into the squad, but it, to me, it's really, really nice to just randomly see another American in some Turkish game. You know, he's out there trying to trying to get better and everything, too. And good for you, Tyler. Yeah, no doubt. Um, next guy we got on the list is yeah, Tanner Tess. Yeah, uh, he's not playing um, for... Uh, well, I'll just say this. We'll, we won't make it long on Tanner Tessman. He's not playing much at all for Venice. But um, someone asked the question, like, when's the time to worry about him? And the answer is, I mean, you don't worry about an 18-year-old playing in Syria, even if he's not playing. Yeah, I um, I'd actually be interested. I don't know any of this, but what I think of immediately is I wonder how much he, if he's getting much time for the reserves or anything, um, or what the situation is there. Uh, obviously, Busio's having great success at the same club, and it's an American-owned club, so you know they they probably are pretty comfortable bringing both of these guys in. 
I would really like to see more from Tanner. And, you know, we can't expect him to be involved with the national team until he is more established as a pro. That's right. But yeah, I mean, he, I think all the stuff you said about in the past with his, his physical prowess and um, ball striking ability, give him a chance to have a, have a skill set that's really useful for the national team. Yep. I, I agree. And then uh, into here, kind of a, a, a rando one, Eric Palmer Brown started for, uh, was this Troy? Troy? <laughs> so it started for one French team against Nantes and played 77 minutes. Looked like he lined up at the left center back and 2-0 loss. Uh, this guy has kind of been forgotten. I wonder if he'll ever get called back into the national team. Doesn't seem likely. Uh, he's probably going to have to get a bunch of good performances at high level before he actually gets a look. Yeah, I, I am. He, he's totally like falling off the face of the planet. That's unfortunate. Yeah, yeah um, it really is. He, he shouldn't. I mean, he should be someone that we're thinking about. Um, he's playing in League One, and he's he's getting minutes. So we should be we should keep him in mind. That's actually a really good call out, Ryan. Yeah, we'll we'll see. Um, and yeah, actually, anybody that's listening, if you guys think, oh crap, why didn't or what the hell, why didn't you guys talk about this guy? Or like, why are you even bringing him up? It's not worth the time. We'd love to hear it on uh, social media. So. Hit us up at, at Champions Das, and we'll get back to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now on to Christian Kappas, who's been kind of like, uh, he's been doing some really good things. It looks like the kid's getting a lot of minutes. Um, he he came on the 72nd in a 1-1 draw for Brunby, um this time around, but he had you know started and scored, what was it, a hat trick did he get? Or was it just two, a braise? I think Either it was, way, yeah, go ahead. Either way, it was a great, it was a great performance. Um, so it's good to see him getting continual minutes, being always part of the squad, whether as a sub or, or getting, getting a start. Um, it's interesting to see an advanced attacking style midfielder, uh, coming, coming out for us. We want to see, want to see more from you, Christian. And I actually think that you, if you keep up your trajectory, are going to have a chance to, to push for a, a role in this team. Yeah, I agree. And, um, I don't want to backtrack on Eric Palmer Brown, but I got to oh, bring yeah, do up, it up. I got to bring up like if you look at the squads that he's played at, and um, he hasn't had like a tremendous amount of minutes in the last three leagues, but he's the last three years, but he's played for competitive teams and competitive leagues. Um, he's moving up, like his equity is improving year over year. He's in a more competitive league than he's ever been, and. Um, I'm not sure like how quickly he's going to be integrated, but if he is integrated into him, I'm going to butcher the name, Troy's, if he's integrated into Troy's, um, that is a very promising sign. We should be keeping an eye on Eric Palmer Brown. Yeah, for sure. We'll, uh, we'll keep him on this list until and, somebody on Twitter tells us we're wrong for doing idiots. so. And yeah. then we'll probably keep doing it anyways. Um, yeah, I'm not trying to steal Christian Kappas' thunder. Yeah, he's got a lot of thunder to go around, man. He plays in Denmark for Bromby. Um, <laughs> so, so yeah, here onto a guy whose thunder has really declined since the uh, the Nations League back in, uh, in May. Gosh, yeah. so Ethan Horvath, unused sub for well, you know, he is a goalie, so it's <laughs> he is going to be an unused sub, right? For Nottingham Forest in the three zero one versus Birmingham City. Yeah. Pertinent question here, Alex. Was this a good move for him? Yeah, the answer for me is the answer for me is like no. You know, like um, he was was he he was at Club Brugge before? Is that right? Yes. Yeah, and he was. Um, it felt like sharing time with what that Simone Minile, You know, uh, the yeah. reject. Uh, and it's like I don't think you can you can see this as anything. This move to Nottingham Forest is anything more than just like a lateral thing at best. Uh, and I don't even question if it's a lateral move. Well, that's why I say at best, you know. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> like it's probably not. It's probably slightly worse. And he's not the he's not the the guy doesn't play on the weekends. The guy plays in the cup games on weekdays. Like he needed to go somewhere where he was going to be the starter and. Yeah, I, I maybe he can win a spot here. It doesn't feel like it. I'm pretty sure Samba had like an amazing game actually in this, a ton of great saves. So like, why would you switch him out? I don't know what Ethan Horvath can do to win a spot at Nottingham 
Forest, and I wonder if he really did make a poor decision here. Yeah, I'm I'm concerned he did make a poor decision. It's not like he's so young that it's okay that this is happening. He really should be getting minutes at this point. Um, it's it's unfortunate because I would have thought that after his performance um, in the Gold Cup, he would find himself in a position where he's getting consistent playing time and posi- and potentially solidifying his position on the men's national team. But it's simply the case that he cannot, nor can Zach Steffen be the starter for us unless they're getting consistent minutes. And so, yeah, yeah I think his agent didn't help him out. No. You know, we agent, don't know all the agent is YMU group, by the way. I'm, I'm looking at it now. I don't know who YMU group is, but okay. um, I, would, I would recommend that our American players stay away from YMU group. <laughs> oh, Christian, they've got Christian Roldan and Jordan Morris. Yeah, I'd stay away from them. Yeah. Oh, man. Maybe, maybe, honestly, and this isn't even me being sarcastic, like maybe come into the MLS is what Ethan needs to do. Um, so yeah, on to Matthew Hope. Unfortunately, he didn't get used at all, but he he uh they won 1-0 against Levante. That's Mallorca we're talking about now. Mm-hmm. Uh it's, it's it stinks that he didn't get played at all. Um good Mallorca won and maybe the way the game was unfolding, they didn't think bringing on him as a striking option was the the best use of their subs. So I uh, I'm looking forward to seeing Hope play more. I think he looks great in the red jersey in Mallorca. I, I actually kind of want him to have a collar. I feel like Matthew Hoppe needs a collar on his soccer jersey, but oh, yeah. this is just me coming out of left field with this. Uh, I love Hoppe's attitude. Um, I think he's got a little bit of that Clint Dempsey, like, I'm going to I'm gonna make you see what's up kind of thing going on. And... Uh, I can't wait to see him in in an American jersey again. I, I think he is going to do some stuff in this break. Yeah, Hoppe is. I think he's the real deal, Holyfield. I think he's an awesome player. Um, he's had exposure to some interesting leagues. Um, he's played the German game, and now he's playing Spanish game. I get the impression that Mayorga is excited to have him, and. Um, I think anybody who's going to be playing in a loaded midfield is going to show th- show some things. I can only hope that it's going to be him. But yeah, I'm high on Hoppe. Yeah, uh, on to Julian Green now, unused sub against Köln in the Bundesliga. It feels like he isn't quite as established in the squad as he was last season, at least to this point. I, I don't know. You you keep track of him pretty closely. What do you what do you think is going on here? Um, I'm not a hundred percent sure what's going on with him. Um, I have a hard time believing it has anything to do with his form because he's been one of the highest rated players for the club. If you just look at the performance that he put on last year, um, he's been one of their best players. I don't know if he's battling off injury. I don't know if there's other things going on. Um, but I'm not a hundred percent sure what's going on at Firth. All I know is that they're basically the Norwich of the Bundesliga. And I wish that weren't the case. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, you know, Julian needs to get a little bit more playing time. It's, uh, it's important. And, you know, Mark McKenzie here, uh, didn't get used as a sub either. He, he, I thought he was getting more established in the squad. It's part of this, like, you know, center back emergent center back group that I see. Um, it, it feels like it's competitive there for him. And and maybe the stuff that we're talking about with like, you know, guys and how often they play and uh, whether we should really freak out about them not being in the squads all the time can apply to Mark. Uh, he's only been there for what, eight months, nine months now. He's played a decent amount uh, and he'll play full games and then not really get any playing time. Uh, so I don't see like any concern about his not being present in this, in this game, but it's a guy I wish would get a bit more uh, consistent time at club level. Yeah. It's a, it's, if he can get more, can, if he can get more time, there's, there's upside for him. Gank is a good, a good club to be playing yeah, at. For sure. Um, so, yeah. And I, I think he's, I think he's kind of in a position uh, he, after last season, he didn't solidify his position in that squad. Uh, he, I he's kind of like the opposite of Chris Richards in the sense that he, he does go to ground early in some cases and mm-hmm. he gets beat pretty easily. 
Um, and he needs to tighten that up. I think he is, but I, um, I think he's in a position where he's regaining his credibility at Gank. Yeah, we'll see how we'll see how that goes for him. And then here's an interesting one because this guy was included in the squad, and I actually, when I first heard about Shaq Moore, I was really, really like high on him. I thought he would end up being a useful player for us, but his club trajectory has not been positive. <laughs> yeah. um, unused sub for Tenerife in the SPL two in a uh, what two one win versus how do you say this word Hoiska. Uh, nailed it yeah nailed something um but so i i i get confused about like unused subs in the spanish second division versus like guys that play 90 minutes in the bundesliga and score goals from left back or right back and decision making surrounding it Um, right but you gotta keep in mind that he's got the experience to to be in the men's national team, and that's why he's there because he's familiar with the system. Yeah, and and this isn't even this is that you know, and there's no MLS hating to be seen here. Like, if if you were going to logically replace somebody on the squad with with um, Scaly, then it would be, have been it would have been Shaq Moore. And I know he had a pretty good run at the Gold Cup, but right back is like one of our deepest positions, and we have a guy that's capable of covering either flank and the party line has been needs more experience in the squad it's hard to swallow that type of line when you see this kind of player getting selected in his stead yeah i i don't i don't disagree i i try not to think of it too much because it just doesn't make sense yeah, it's just like, trying to, I, and i don't want to put my mind anywhere near the irrational all right, all right we'll, we'll move on to something clearly the point the, but the point is clear that like there were better options than Shaq Moore. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But um, what I was going to say is so much more rational than Shaq Moore and the uh, right back selection situation in the current U.S. Men's National Team roster is Owen Otisoe's situation. Yeah, Far it's... more rational. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at least we can make sense of what's going on. Uh, it's going from bad to worse. Um, he didn't. He he's like regularly not in the club, right? And and he didn't pay like nothing for him i think he transferred for like eight million euro or something like that like it's a fairly big investment for club ruga considering what they're accomplishing in the champions league um they could have invested in a number of players to help him get better and they thought out to so he was the guy and they paid money for him and um it's his performance on the team that's not allowing him to take the field and even worse he played for their u20 team and the coach was so disappointed in his, in his performance that he pulled him off after 30 minutes. Yeah, this is really weird. Um, I don't I, I don't know what to think about the trajectory of this kid. I know we've been, like, every time we talk about Owen, so it's kind of been a running joke for us that he's just, like, always going to, always having these personal issues or whatever. We, we quite don't know, and we hear rumblings about it being, you know, personality stuff. Uh Man, I, apparently, dude, you're super talented. Like, if if clubs are willing to pay eight million euro or or whatever it is for you, you got to take that opportunity. Um, I don't know. I, I, I don't. I don't want to always go with the squander potential of squandering talent line that we seem to have adopted for Ono Tisoe. But please show me something different, guy. I mean, I get the impression that people have seen him play really well and believe that he has a lot of potential. And there's something with his headspace. I mean, maybe he's depressed. Maybe he's away from home. We have to somewhat be considerate of what the guy might be going through because Club Bruga isn't going to pull down on a speculative target like that. They did their research. They know way more about him than anyone doing any of these pods, way more than we do. And so they saw something in him. And somebody saw something very real and, and good in what he can bring to the table. Um, and I would imagine what's going on is more of a byproduct of headspace than it is potential and talent. And so um, I shit, I just hope that he gets the support and help that he needs to, to really develop into the guy that everyone sees he can be. Yeah, for sure. Best of luck, man. Uh, now on to Brian Reynolds. Uh, didn't even make the squad for this game against Empoli that Roma won 2-0. But he's expected to go on loan. Good move for him. Good move for him. Yeah, Better than sitting, it. riding the pine, and got and it. 
yeah, got to get minutes. And Jose Mourinho is not the one to tolerate fools unless the fool is himself. So uh, I wouldn't fuck around too much if I were Brian Reynolds. Um, it's it's hard to know what Jose is going to do with you, and getting out and getting playing time is probably what you need to do. I agree. Yeah, so that that wraps it up for all of the players uh, kind of review. I know we spiced in some U.S. men's national team stuff uh, in terms of looking forward to the, the roster and, and everything. But now we're going to get into the meat of the U.S. men's national team Thursday, 645 Central Time kickoff against Jamaica. This is in Austin, Texas. USSF, very proud to sell out the game. It's only 25,000 people stadium. Shouldn't really brag about that shit, guys. Come on. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) But anyways, uh, the first thing I want to touch on here is um, the formation and the personnel as relating to the U.S. men's national team. Uh, What do we expect? So, Alex, what do you what do you think is most likely that Berhalter is going to throw out here in terms of uh, these two things, formation and personnel? Yeah, I think, first game. I think he's going to run a 4-3-3. Um, he always runs a 4-3-3, so he'll probably do that. And he'll probably throw um, Richards and Robinson in the middle. He'll throw Dustin Anthony Robinson on the uh, right and left in the right and left back position. He'll roll with Musa, assuming the COVID thing isn't him. Um, he'll go with Musa, Adams, and Weston. I think he's going to give the fans what they want. I think he's done messing around. Um, I think he'll roll with that midfield, and in the event that Musa is out, I bet it will be Leggett. Um and then up top, I think he's going to go Pepe in the center forward position, and then he'll go Hoppe and Aronson next to him and deploy Hoppe on the wing, which Hoppe doesn't like, but it's almost, you know, yeah, uh, comical at this point. So I, I think I agree with most of what you said there. The parts that I, I'll throw, so throw a wrench into are, I'm not sure it's going to be as straightforward of a selection as you're saying. I think actually Busio might start this game. He's had some really strong performances recently. I, I think he's going into camp feeling really good about himself. And I, I, I think the kid might get out there. I think he might start this game. Um, I also think that Brendan Aronson, as you I mean, you predict him right there. I think he's nailed on. Uh, he's been just showing too much and he has too much quality right now. And we really need a strong start. Uh, the parts that I think are going to be kind of weird is he's going to line up with an eye on the coming games afterward. And so that's why I maybe disagree with the principle that we're going to see this like a very strong lineup. I think we're going to see like good lineups three times in a row um, and with some heavy rotation. Exactly how it's going to manifest itself, I'm not sure. But I, I do agree with the 4-3-3 is the formation that's going to be going to be used in this game. Yep. Uh, any any interesting like partnerships or dynamics that that you want to highlight about uh, about the players that if he rolls out a ball if he like if he rolls out a baller midfield you're going to see a baller performance and like it's almost certain that Aaron like I agree with you it's almost certain that Aronson's going to start and I would imagine that it's like fairly certain that like Hoppa is going to be in the lineup. Um, but if he rolls out like Musa, Weston, and Adams, um, those strikers are going to feast. And Pepe is going to get a feel of what it's like to play with like European counterparts. And like, you got to keep in mind that like these guys are just going to outclass anybody that they play. Um, so interesting partnerships or dynamics. If that midfield is a baller midfield, like you're going to just see this, you're going to see a very fun game, and we're going to be walking out of Thursday feeling very good. Yeah. Oh man, you always that right there got me wanting to touch on the next two uh, little segments in here. Um, so yeah, let's move into the assessment of of the opposition. So, um, they this team actually has players in some decent spots. They have players playing in Belgium, the MLS, uh, League Two in England, so a few divisions below the PL, uh, but but still grinding it out. They got guys in USL. They even have players in Egypt. Um, they went one and two in the September window, conceding six goals, scoring only two. Though it was against the some of the toughest opposition that they could have come up against and they managed to get a point 
in Costa Rica, which is, you know, nothing to really scoff at. So they do have some potential to hurt people and, and, and steal points. Uh, I think the big thing here for them is that they don't have Mikel Antonio. They don't have Bailey and they do not have Ethan Pinnock. And so those are very important players for them. Uh, I think it weakens them a lot and apparently their coaching isn't that great. So they may have trouble adapting properly. Yeah. Um, Jamaica has like very, I mean, Jamaica could be competing to be Kings of CONCACAF with the talent that they have. That talent isn't going to be there for this break and the coaching is totally whack. So yeah, that's, that's my assessment of yeah. the reggae boys. Oh uh, yeah. So that runs right into what the expected result and uh, what kind of performance we're looking for from the U S men's national team. I think it's fair to say that we expect us to, uh, Despite the absence of our key figures, you can see we, we barely even touch on that, right? Like to me, Polisic, Reyna, not there. I'm I'm all about the man, next man up mentality, and I think we got it what it takes to to clean house with this kind of thing. I want I want a clean sheet, and I want three goals. Yeah, um, I was actually going to say the same thing. Um, the interesting thing about like Reyna and Polisic being down is that it gives. Uh, clear path for like Aronson and Hoppe to be starting and they're they're absolutely good enough they're players that we want to see granted they're not nearly as good as Polisic and Reyna but um, I actually expect the same result and I think that if we score in the first 20 minutes of the game oh gosh then it's it could be it's gonna be three nothing if we score in the first 20 minutes we need to score in the first 20 minutes or first 30 minutes of the game because the pressure starts to mount and teams are able to like pack the bus a little bit more mm-hmm. and players start to get a little bit neurotic after that time. Yeah. And actually you got me thinking that what I would like to see is, you know, that, that, that type of early ish goal is huge, but it's the reaction by our team afterward. It, is it a all oh, job done reaction or is it a like foot throat smash reaction? <laughs> yeah. And I want that. Not the second one bad. Like, and, and uh, actually, I'll give a, another shout to Ronaldo here because I thought he made a really good point on his podcast is he was saying we need to we need to demoralize them. We need them to quit. We want them to be eliminated from the qualification process. We want the next time we play them, them to be completely unable to deal with us because they've already lost. And the worst thing that happens is is they're maybe stealing some points from somebody else later down the road. But it's a chance to to take a potential rival that could be going on the plane to Qatar instead of us, just kill him dead in the water. Uh, yeah. I, I would love to see that happen. Yeah. See, I think that mentality is spot on. It's like, if you can roll out uh, with enough force and, you know, convince yourself through a goal that like, it's actually working. Um, it, it's very easy to go for the throat in these games. And that's like the mentality that happens. It's like, oh my gosh, this team's like way better than us. And it's the team that's doing it. You're like, oh my gosh, we can do anything we want against these guys. Yeah. Um, God, I hope, I hope we get into a, a nice, uh, a feel good goal scoring fest tomorrow, but I don't know if it's too much for us to expect a lot of the, a lot of the talking heads around us men's national team are predicted nine points from these. Um, and they're not entirely crazy to do so. Uh, it's it's going to be fun. It all starts tomorrow at uh, six forty five central, and we'll definitely be watching. Uh, expect to see us tweeting a little bit about it throughout the game. Maybe not too much. Definitely at halftime though. We'll, there'll be some tweets going out. Um, if you guys have anything uh, you know to to let us know about the podcast here uh, about you know, what did we get wrong? What do you, who do you want us to talk about more or less with these U S men's national team players? Hit us up at champions DOS on Twitter. And, uh, we'll give you a, we'll give you a shout back. Um, that's it for us tonight. Uh, thanks for listening, Alex, anything to add? No, I appreciate everyone tuning in and we hope to talk to you guys soon. Yeah. Have a great night, everyone. And, uh, you know, tomorrow's a big day. We're going to, we're going to do it. We got this. All right, y'all.